This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Ever wonder how pilots are able to eat while on the road? Confused as to which flight school to use for your training? Well, we have answers to that and many more in this episode of Aviation Careers Podcast. Welcome to episode 90. I have joining me this evening two special aviators. And first is uh, one of our co-hosts from the Private Jet Podcast and flying expert, Tom Wachowski. Welcome, Tom. Hello, Carl. Checking in, uh, Tom Wachowski here. And you are in a sunny... No, where are you this evening? I am in a... uh Let's let's say a large Midwestern city. <laughs> I am on a work trip, so I will oh. intentionally be vague. Okay, good. Yes, uh, and and it's uh, you were just telling me you were able to go out and have some really good Mexican food, which that's terrific. But hey, I'm getting ahead of myself. But uh, also joining us this evening <laughs> is uh, somebody, a new member of Aviation Careers podcast team, and it's Paul Greco. And Paul is an airline pilot helicopter flight nurse, and now is a scholarship analyst with us. Welcome, hey Carl, Paul. How you do- oh, Thanks. How you doing? Doing awesome. And uh, you are uh, joining us from sunny where? Everything's sunny today. I am in Charlottesville, Virginia. Charlottesville, mm-hmm. Virginia. For those of us that are map challenged, where is that? That is, uh, let's see... I would say it's a little southwest of Richmond. A little south. Okay, cool. Yeah. And uh, it's a good overnight for you. You're you're on an overnight uh, with the airline. And, I'm on, uh, yeah, I'm on an overnight with the airline, and it's a great overnight. Really, really nice little downtown area. Awesome. Bunch of great shops. Awesome. Well, I tell you, I'm actually in sunny Florida. It's been wonderful weather here. Uh, we uh, we did not have uh, <laughs> that really big storm that they were talking about a few days ago. It it really it wasn't anything. We actually at the college, as you know, I'm over at Polk State College. I coach the flight team, also on the safety team there. Uh, we had nothing. We put all the airplanes away, and and the worst thing that actually happened is we had a lawn chair that blew over. And uh, the funny part of it is it was a real creative student went out there and took a picture of it and put a sign on there and said, never forget. Uh, so, <laughs> that was hilarious. But guys, hey, thanks for joining uh, us this evening. Uh, if you're listening today, uh, you'll notice that we've changed a few things as far as our format. We're trying to bring on some more uh, co-hosts, and we haven't really been able to get to some of the, the questions because we've had some really cool interviews here, but uh, we're just trying to catch up. Got a couple from uh, questions also that were in the hopper from uh, May that we we didn't get to. If you haven't heard your question answered, sometimes uh, they get rearranged within within the uh, in the queue. So that's what happened this evening. But before we get started, uh, just a couple things to remind you of uh, at aviationcareerspodcast.com. If you want to actually contact us, just go to the contact page. And if you have any questions, feel free to ask me. Uh, ask us and we'll let's say Tom Wachowski, you want to send a question to him. You can also you just send it right to us and we'll forward it to him and answer it. You can also uh, contact him directly. Also, the same goes for Paul. And another thing I, I highly encourage you to do is is go out and check out some of the things that we have for free now. Uh, in the past, what we were doing is making people register 
on the website and realize that that was quite cumbersome for you. So go to the membership page and you'll see that there's a whole bunch of stuff that's free. It's normally the first video of each of the series. If you want to watch the rest of the videos in a series or you want to download our scholarships guide, all you need to do is is get one month membership, which is only $10 right now. Uh, and gosh, you know, you get all that information and the scholarships guide. So, uh, oh, and by the way, and this is September. We're coming out with the new version. You know, every quarter we come out with a new version of Scholarships Guide. We've listened to you and also some of the comments, and we've totally rearranged it uh, so that it's a lot easier to use, and we'll be publishing that shortly. Well, let's get on with the show and, and our topic here. What's interesting is when I was at this school talking to some of the students, uh, someone came up to me and he said, hey, would you mind talking about what what you do on the road to eat food? You know, how do you eat? What do you what do you eat? And where do you eat? And he said, you know, I, I've been doing this for so long. I'm interested in going into aviation and working for an airline. But you know, I never thought to ask: do do people bring their own food? You know, do they do they actually you know go out to restaurants? Is there food at the airports to eat? And uh, so we're going to address a, a couple of those issues. But but just from from my perspective, having been in the airline business since one, as far as a pilot's concerned. Things really have changed when when it comes to food. I'll, I'll remember, you know, from from the old days at the regionals, we would actually have food on our flights. We had meals. We would serve, you know, in some flights we had hot meals. It was quite amazing, and uh, we would have, you know, sandwiches, etc. So there was no shortage of food. If we were hungry, we would just ask the flight attendant to, if we could send up a sandwich or uh, or coffee and sodas, etc. But that that's changed quite a bit. Uh, the airlines have changed to a, a system of, in, you know, taking weight off the airplane, of course, with food carts and uh, saving some money. They've gone to, you know, mainly snacks and and certain boxes that are are put together that really don't need any heating. So so now to get something healthy to eat, a lot of guys uh, and gals they they bring their own food with them. They sometimes pack a cooler, and I've started doing that myself just so I can eat a little bit healthier. While I'm on the road, certain airlines, uh, depending on where you work, they won't have any food at all. Or they might have food on certain flights, uh, say the flights that are going overseas or cross-country. They'll have these wonderful meals. Uh, but on the short flights, uh, there'll only be like peanuts and sodas. And some of the airlines, that's all they serve. And now that things have changed, also... Uh, we used to a lot of times get some of these meal items for free, and that's actually changed from free to to being paid for. So the the big thing as far as being on the road and eating on the road is that you can save a lot of money if you bring your own food and eating options. You know, the the worst thing is when you're you're thinking you're going to get to an airport and have time to eat like a meal, and then you arrive late and all the restaurants are open and you're like, oh no, I can't eat. A lot of times too, we're at a hotel. That has a has a restaurant and we'll eat there, and uh, that's that's not always true, uh, but sometimes they'll be able to take us to places around the hotel. So that's kind of been my quick summary overview of, of the eating situation. Uh, I know Tom, you've you've actually worked for both corporate and also uh, in the airline world. I, I'm really curious to find out from you what what the difference is as far as as where you eat, how you go about eating. I know. I, I just summarize as far as the airlines are concerned. What do you do on the on the corporate side that's different? Yeah, it's kind of all over the board. You know, each operator does eh, a little bit different. Um, I I will say this: in my experience, eating on the corporate side is 
way better than uh, what I experienced at least uh, when I was a regional pilot. So what we've typically done is uh, we'll get local catering and sometimes that's um, uh, it, it could be like a local restaurant or it could be a chain restaurant, but it's local. It gets picked up or it gets delivered or, or, or maybe there's even a, uh, a contract in place with a local caterer who delivers food. And the quality of that food uh, is typically pretty good and you can typically order anything you want. Uh, obviously within reason, you're not ordering the $90 filet, uh, but you can order you know, uh, the salad you want and it's a really like a really good healthy salad with real shrimp on it and uh and things like that so i overall i uh, i would say you know in the in the airlines i i struggle to eat well uh in the corporate world i struggle to not eat too much <laughs> it's just <laughs> lots of good food <laughs> And that's interesting. I mean, they, you said real shrimp. I mean, some of these items on on the menus in the in the airlines are like they're little bitty shrimp. You're talking like real shrimp, big shrimp, and that type of thing. Yes, um, and yeah. healthy food options, etc. Yes. You know, I'm curious though, Tom. If I, you know, a lot of times you have catering come and they come mm-hmm. for the folks that you're carrying. Do you ever eat the food that they have? Does that ever been? Does that? I mean, how does that happen? What's what's the proper what's the proper etiquette? I should say. Yeah, well, proper etiquette is if they're gone and they left it, um, typically there's two choices. So one is eat it, or two is give it to the line guys. And so quite often, uh, especially I, you know, some places I've worked in the past, it wasn't really uh, tipping was not something they supported. So we would tip through food, and a line guy was always happy to get you know uh, uh, sometimes a steak dinner. Uh, sometimes an extra lobster roll, sometimes an extra half of a pizza, whatever it might be. Um, and, and if, you know, if, uh, sometimes we were just doing quick turns and then flying empty, we may eat some of that food on the way home so that we've got, you know, good blood sugar for, for flying. We're thinking correctly and straight and all those types of things. So it really varied on the situation, but yeah, we did definitely, uh, I, I will say that I've eaten some things in this position. I never, never thought I would eat. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Really, really good food. Uh, I'll never forget one of my first uh, real, what I would call a real corporate job, where you could stay there for a career, and uh, it was for a family. And there was, I think, my second flight. They ordered fillets for everybody, and I'll never forget that fillet sitting in front of me as we climb on the climb out. I mean, it was like it was the best tasting piece of meat. <laughs> <laughs> ever <laughs> so, so I, I overall yes we do eat the catering the quality of the food is uh, excellent you know it's interesting what you said about eating too much on the road uh, you know i've heard that especially from folks at flight corporate uh that happens to me when i do say uh, you know the place i work on our transcon flights where we yeah, have this wonderful yeah. food and and the problem is the ice cream is really good. Yes. And uh, I'm not normally one to eat much ice cream, but the the food is terrific. And and the usually the problem is that there's too much of it, mm. and you just have to say stop. Don't give me anymore. Yeah. I just got you know, I I just I wind up just picking out things because you can gain a whole bunch of weight. Uh, yeah. Just yes. going back and forth across the country like that. Yeah. You, and you get bored on those long flights, and so you just inevitably start picking. Right. Know? Right. Yeah. You know, I remember, uh, you know, I haven't flown turboprops, uh, since gosh, I think 2001. And uh, on those flights, we actually had certain meals. And I think, and that's changed a lot. I know, Paul, you could probably speak towards this. You know, what kind of meals and food items do you have on your flights? Actually, we don't, we don't have any food. It's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty slim over, <laughs> over by me. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we do flights. 
typically under an hour and a half, and so mm-hmm. they don't serve they don't serve food. We just have a beverage service. So there's no like peanuts and things like that. I guess you don't do peanuts Nothing. anymore. Nothing no. at all. Wow. So do you, uh, nope, so what do you do? I mean, do you bring so, your own food? Yeah, I, I bring my own food. I that's that sort of struck a nerve. So when I first started, um, I didn't really know what to expect, and so I said, right, I'll just pick up food at the airport and. Uh, that two two problems happen with that. I mean, like you said, it it, it does get tend to get a little expensive. But more importantly, uh, from a health standpoint, you, it's just not the healthiest way to eat. The, the airport food is not the healthiest way to way to go. And and uh, oftentimes when you get to your your overnight, you get in late, things are closed. So it's just nice to pack a home cooked meal and have it with you. Um, although I will say it's. It's a little bit of a challenge. Uh, you get to some hotels and they don't have refrigerators, so uh, you have to get a little creative in, in keeping your food cold so it doesn't spoil. But it's it's generally um, a much healthier way to eat, a much more satisfying way to eat, and, and definitely less expensive. You know, it's interesting what you just said about the food spoilage. Uh, another thing that I've learned from other pilots is I will bring, you know that the, the thing, the bottle you put on your head when you have a headache? I fill that up with water and I freeze it in my freezer and make a big chunk of ice. And that ice will last me over 24 hours uh, and it'll keep my food cool. So I, at least I have cool food for over 24 hours. Uh, another uh, challenge I think too is is I think you also fly internationally. Uh, we can't bring food back uh, from those countries a lot of times. So you basically have to, I've had this happen to me. I had all this fruit with me and I was like, Oh no, I forgot I had to do a Canadian turn and I had to get rid of the fruit before I went through customs. Right. Right. Um, uh, you know, and to, again, to speak to the spoilage thing, another solution that I came up with was I, I carry a bunch of, uh, Ziploc bags with, with me, mm-hmm. um, just for packing, um, packing my clothes. I pack some of my so I close the Ziploc bags because I can squish them down and, and keep them squished. And uh, I take some of those Ziploc bags, and there's typically always an ice machine. So two, a day, two days, three days into the trip, after the, the ice might melt that you bring with you, um, you know, you could go to the ice machine and, and fill up in, the, in a Ziploc bag. And that that's kind of a last resort because it does tend to get a little messy. But um, But, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I wind up doing that too with my little headache bag thing. I, after the first day or day and a half, it's melted and I'll go to the ice machine down the hallway. The challenge with that is uh, certain countries, uh, they don't have uh, as many ice machines like we do here in the U.S. Uh, they're right. you know a little more conservative with the, with electricity. I know that's true in Mexico and certain other countries. Uh, so, you know, filling that up is a little bit tough. You also have another option that uh, I remember you told me about is, uh, and this I did for a little while is, uh, what do you call it? Vacuum packaging. And Actually, yeah, I did that. I have, uh, I have one now on this trip because, uh, my wife took, took one of the ice packs, but yeah, I <laughs> vacuum, vacuum sealed some water and froze it and, and it does a great job. So how about meals? I know when I was uh, on trips, I would actually vacuum package soups and I would heat it up either in the microwave or another thing that I, I learned on the road was taking an immersion heater and taking the hotel room, you know, the cooler, putting hot water in there and then putting the immersion heater in and then putting my vacuum packaged meal in there, leave it for 45 minutes and it warms it up. That's a great idea. 
<laughs> That's if you don't have a microwave, which happens a lot. Creative. Oh, yeah, sure does. And, and so there's all these creative ways of, of trying to bring food and, and heat it up. Um, but, again, eating healthy, especially if you're doing a lot of short legs, is kind of tough. I mean, what do, you, what do you do on leg number four and you're going into leg number five and, and you're hungry? Do you, do you keep something in your bag or you say, hey, wait a minute, i got to go run inside and eat something? Yeah, no, I keep I – keep uh, I keep my food in my bag and we bring, we bring our, our lunch boxes in the flight deck. Um, and, and I'll try and eat, you know, at meal times. I try and be consistent and, uh, generally there's, there's enough time. There are short, short legs, but you know, 45 minutes in cruise is enough to, uh, is enough to get a meal in. And if it gets late, I have, I have some, uh, cliff bars and some other, uh, like granola bars that are, that are good just to hold me over until I can get to a real meal. Interesting, yeah. So if you're if you're thinking about those cliff bars or whatever, all those those type of bars are great. Uh, uh, just you know to keep you alert, that type of thing. If you you can't find any food items, you know the other thing too, and we never talked about this, and no one's mentioned it so far, is how about crew meals? Whatever happened to crew meals? I know we got rid of them at uh, one of the airlines or both airlines I've worked for in the past. Uh, do you guys have crew meals, or do you not know that concept? I- I don't. I don't have crew meals. No. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, did you remember having crew meals? Oh, I I was uh, at the regional level. No, no, we never really. Did. See, now that that was another interesting thing. We were tied to the hip uh, with our carrier on the regional that one of the regionals I worked for, and we would actually order crew meals if we were hungry. And after it was like ten hours and nobody had a chance to get food, we would actually ask for crew meals. And uh, they would bring us sandwiches and stuff, and say, "Okay, we'll bring you some sandwiches." Uh, that was that option's been gone for years, though. I don't think there's many airlines that actually do that. And uh, and you know, as, as far as the larger the plane, usually there's more food on board, so you usually have food options there if you have to. Uh, you know, it's interesting too, is that uh, this brings up another safety issue, is that you really there, there's many different things about not eating enough food, and we're not going to get into all those, but it's really important to eat properly. And um, I've actually had um, actually more than one flight, maybe I think three flights total in my whole career, where I actually had to delay the flight uh, to get some food. And I'll never forget, I was in a, I, th- I forget what country I was in, I think it was Canada. And the, the first officer, he was just dying. He's like, man, I, I feel like I'm going to pass out. And I didn't have any extra food. Nobody had any food. And I said, listen, uh, this isn't safe. And I asked the gate agent, can, can you guys go get us some food? And like, no, no, we can't do that. Uh, and I said, okay. So we wound up actually having to delay the flight two hours so that he could get some food because, uh, the gate agents didn't want to delay the flight and take it, you know, a delay. And we said, listen, he's going to pass out. We're going to have to, you know, cancel the flight because he's sick anyway. Uh, you know, he, his blood sugar dropped or whatever. And we had to go into the terminal and we had to go through customs, come back oh. through customs just to get some food to, to, to feed the person. Uh, so sometimes you have to take drastic measures. Uh, the, this person, he was so thankful. He's like, man, he says, I, I feel a thousand times better. Uh, but I really didn't feel safe. I mean, that rarely happens, but sometimes you have to make that decision. You have to make that call and say, listen, this isn't safe. Uh, you know, it was as if he wasn't even there, you know? Uh, so that, that's the other side of it. Sometimes, uh, you'll find as you move along in your career, you'll be pushed to do certain things in one, in, and this is one of those manners where you might get pushed like, Hey, you know, there's no time for you to get food. Uh, we're going to get out of here, you know, and they'll, even gate agents might even argue with you. Hey, you're going to take a delay. It's like, well, 
we're either going to take a delay or this person's going to have to get off the airplane. We're going to get a new pilot, you know, that type of thing. Sometimes that'll happen. It's, it's pretty rare. Um, but, but you have to eat, you know, it's, it's really that important. Yeah. Um, I think there's more planning that goes into it than you might realize, you know, especially if you haven't gone through it a few times and, uh, it, it is important. And, and in addition is drinking. And oh, yeah. by drinking, I don't mean yeah, drinks. Right. I mean water. Yeah, you know, right. you're in such a low humidity environment, and especially Carl, you're doing those transcons. That's hours and hours in, a, in you know in very dry air, and before you know it, you haven't gotten enough water over those hours, and you start to get the headache. Uh, you know, you start to maybe not feel good. You start to feel fatigued, and that's simply because you don't have enough water. So the eating is important, but so is the water. You know, it's interesting you said that because it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but I hate having to bother the flight attendants to go, you know, use the restroom. And so I, I would, I used to just not drink any water and I was getting these incredible headaches when mm. I was getting to the hotel and I would drink a ton of water when I got to the hotel and I realized what happened is I was dehydrated yeah. and that's not good for you. So I, I've stopped doing that. So, I said, you know what? Just drink. Yeah. Water. yeah, the going joke in corporate is the Fiji water. Everybody, yeah. everybody <laughs> takes a picture of themselves with the Fiji water because they know it's a little bit, you know, ridiculous. But you got to have the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, staying hydrated is is really really important. So it's not it's not just food and eating; it's drinking and and you know one of the things that we like to drink a lot of is coffee. Mm-hmm. And uh, at times that'll that'll dehydrate you if you drink too much of that. But uh, but it does help, boy. You know, on, on certain trips. I learned another thing too, and this is again the whole food thing, is that you know I was looking at Coke because we serve Coke, and I noticed that uh, Coca Cola, Diet Coke, and Coke Zero, the the one that had the most uh, caffeine in it was Diet Coke. Yeah. Out of all of them, I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I started drinking that, but then realized that's probably not good to drink too much of that. Uh, so try to limit that that calorie intake. So. Any, anything else as far as eating on the road? I mean, I, I think we kind of covered it as far as getting a you good know, feel. I, I think it's a bigger deal than maybe it seems on the surface. Because I, you know, if eating right and being healthy and all those things are important to somebody looking into this career, that may steer their decision on where they go in the job. You know, I think you're right. Uh, you know, honestly, I'm a good bad example. Uh, I uh, hate to admit this, but. I, I've gained 60 pounds since I started lying mm. for the airlines. And, uh, it, it's really, it happens fairly quickly. And, you know, I'll gain a couple of pounds here, a couple of pounds there. And it's, it's not as if I was, I was just eating things I shouldn't be eating. Sure. And, uh, and now I'm turning that corner. I've just lost 16 pounds by just, just looking at what I eat, nothing else really. Uh, eating lots more vegetables. You know, you talk about hydrating, that type of thing. It's a, it's extremely important. I know that we have certain people that have websites about how to eat on the road and that type of thing. And, and I'm starting to realize how important it is. And now the other problem is, as we, we talked about earlier, as I get older, I can't move as quick and, and I don't lose the weight like I used to. It used to be like, Hey, I'm going to yeah. lose 20 pounds. Okay. And I do it. Now it's, it's, it's a, <laughs> it is, it's tough. It's not that easy. Those young people like, like Paul, he can, he can take it off like, in two seconds. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think you're, you're right, Tom. It's, it's something that we don't realize is, is, <laughs> is that important. And we kind of take for granted that we can run to the refrigerator and get food. That doesn't happen, uh, with us that, that work at the, uh, at the airlines and the corporate level as a flight instructor. I know oh. that. 
Yeah. That was quite difficult. And I, I made sure that I, I took a quick break and said, okay, uh, either you go pre-flight, come back in and we'll talk, uh, or, you know, give me a minute to just have a sandwich. And that was, that was, that was pretty difficult because, you know, you're flying, you know, 12 hours straight, just like we're doing at the airlines, but you're not able to sit down. You're, you're pretty active when you're flight instructing. That's for sure. And that's, that's a a whole nother thing. But, um, a lot of people listening will, will realize that, you know, it, it doesn't get easier when you get to the airlines. And sometimes, it, but but when you get to this level, you know, at a certain level like where I am, it it, it is a heck of a lot easier than it is at the regional level because the headwind reduces for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's it, it's interesting because I I used to always worry about where am I going to get my next meal, and now I don't worry at all. And how much time? Because as you get into a bigger airplane, you have all sorts of time to eat. Uh, and of course, I. I Fly an Airbus, so I got a tray table in front of me where I can have lunch. That's, a, <laughs> that's one of my favorite things about it. But uh, anyway, well, I think we've we've pretty much covered almost everything as far as eating. I'm sure that some people listening are going to say, "Oh, wait a minute, you forgot to talk about this." Well, do me a favor, just uh, send us uh, you know message, contact us, feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast, and let us know uh, what your experiences have been with with eating food on the road. And if you have any suggestions, I'd love to pass those along to the other listeners. So I really, yeah, really I like I like. Those uh, eating hacks that you guys were just talking about. Those yes, yes, yeah. eating hacks. But uh, but anyway, the um, uh, that that's that was a pretty good discussion. I, I thank uh, Trey for uh, bringing that question to light, and uh, it it really is something that I didn't even think about, but is really important uh, to relate to people is, is what you eat and how you eat on the road. Well, with that, we're going to get into some of the questions. But before we do the questions, I want to make a couple quick announcements. Uh, you know, Paul uh, Greco, he's he's joined us now as a, a scholarship analyst, and he's helping us find scholarships and put them into the aerospace scholarships directory. And if if you have a, a question about scholarships, or you have something, or want to add a scholarship, of course, you can send it to the scholarship administrator, who's Russ. But but Paul's going to really be uh, doing some help with us. Uh, trying to add more, and he's really excited about it. I think it's pretty cool, Paul. That uh, you know, the directory itself is is pretty exciting. And you know, so far, what's your experience been with with? Uh, I know it's only been a few weeks, but but what do you, what's your experience so far with trying to find scholarships? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, when I first when I first started looking at it, I I was actually frankly pretty surprised at how many scholarships there really were out there. Uh, I mean, when I did my training. I, I didn't even think to look for scholarships. Um, I just didn't think they existed. So I think it's a really great thing to uh, to be doing this, and and it's it's certainly really rewarding. But uh, in the couple of weeks that I've been doing this, you know, it's it's challenging to find these things. They're they're sort of hidden. They're all over the place, but they're out there, and uh, and that makes it a challenge. It makes it it makes it a it's like it's like a little uh, scavenger hunt, and so you have to piecemeal these things together and, and get the information, uh, and, and gather it and get it all together, and, and uh, we get it published for the for the folks. But uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm real excited about it, and it's uh, it's a way to give back and, and get people uh, involved in aviation that that otherwise uh, couldn't. I mean, I remember I remember as a flight instructor, one of the things that people I think the probably the biggest deterrent to people beginning their flight training was the was the financial aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so uh, this is a tool that, that we can use now to, to get people to uh, potentially get people into, the, into this aviation 
uh, industry, which is something that uh, benefits everybody. Oh yeah, so. it's it's something that is is incredibly dynamic too. It's they're always changing. Uh, there's always new ones being placed out there. Now people realize that they can actually start a scholarship through another organization such as Women in Aviation, AOPA, EAA, uh, all sorts of different organizations, and they can do a scholarship in their name. And I highly recommend if you're listening and you want a scholarship in your name, you have extra money or know somebody with extra money, go to the larger organizations because they can start a scholarship in your name, and it really is a huge help to those individuals. Uh, a good example is we have people that, that are just starting out and they want to get a scholarship to get their private license. Well, we have those. We have ones where you can get your private and your instrument. I was just look, uh, talking to a scholarship recipient yesterday about uh, where they are in their training. I spoke with another person who's a helicopter pilot who was looking at, I think it was Women in Aviation as a helicopter pilot uh, scholarship, and that's pretty cool. You have to have your private initially. So they also have something else that's challenging. They have requirements, uh, and don't think that, just because you know you're out of school, or um, or you think that it, gosh, the only way you can get a scholarship is through being in school. Well, that's not true. Anybody can get a scholarship. There's scholarships to become a, you know, an Air Airbus pilot, that type of thing. Uh, but it's it's really is it is a challenge. And and one of the things that we do that's different is we actually we verify each of the scholarships. And and the other thing we do is we audit the scholarships. We're constantly auditing them. We're finally at a point. I know we've been talking about this for years, uh, but we're finally at a point where people are coming to us and saying, "Hey, listen, we want to be in your scholarships guide." And uh, we're starting to we're going to come out with a little logo. We're going to stick it on their website and say, "Hey, listen, we're in the scholarships guide. You want information? Just go there." And just being trying to help these people get the word out about their scholarships because I tell you. One of the things that, uh, and one of the reasons I started this wasn't just because the listeners were telling me that they needed money for training. It's also because of the fact that people were telling me with these scholarships that nobody applies. We sometimes only have one or two people apply, and they're getting the scholarship. I want everybody to apply for a scholarship and try to try to get money for training. You know, another thing that we're going to add to the website is um, is a uh, an airline page where we're going to talk about primarily regionals for now, uh, because we're at that point where we're trying to get higher with the regionals. And uh, most of you, most of the listeners, I know some are moving on to the majors and all. And also, you know, I've done some interview prep and things like that. Uh, I still do interview prep for certain airlines, but we've built up all these relationships with these airlines. And I know I've talked in the past about bringing them on for some interviews. Uh, it's it's actually a bit of more of a process than just hey you you know grabbing somebody from an airline and say hey how do we get a job with X Y Z airline. Well, we're finally able to do that, and we're bringing some people on, but it takes a long time to do that. But they have agreed to uh, give us their information so that we can put it on our website. So you'll you'll see that new airline uh, page on there. I know they're out there. There's some other ones that have them, and uh, they're really really good resources out there on the internet. So we're we're just going to do this as a as a service uh, for those airlines that we have a direct relationship with, and we'll start that up. Well, anyway, is there anything else as far as the scholarships, Paul, that, that you want to say before we move on to our questions this evening? No, I think that's it. I, you know, it, it's just something that uh, I, I really think it's something I really believe in. I think people really, um, a lot of people could benefit from this. So it's, I think it means the, the podcast can really help in, in, get, in getting the word out. And, and for everybody out there listening, it would be if, if you know one person who uh, is involved in training or um, is, in some type of financial need, I you know just mention it to them. Send them to the send them to the website and have them have them take a look, and cool. they can certainly help them. And, and so yeah, 
Awesome, man. And uh, yeah, there's a bunch of free ones out there, so go check them out. Um, and and you're doing a bang up job, Paul. I've already gotten Thanks. some feedback. People telling me how, you know, you, you've been out there. He's he's so excited about it. You know, they I've heard that, and uh, you're so excited that they they've been more than happy to to hand over the information. What's really cool is that people are actually, like I said, that some of these scholarships are updated on certain dates of the year. Uh, there, there, we've formed some from lots of relationships actually where people will call us and, and email us with those updates so we can have the most up to date information on there. And by the way, the book, the scholarships book, it's a PDF file. It's also on Amazon. Uh, the most up to date, of course, is the directory, but we, we update the scholarships book every quarter just to, just to let you know. Anyway, let's get on with the questions. I mean, I, I'm really excited to, uh, finally get some feedback going here and really excited to, to have a, you know, a, a variety of pilots here this evening corporate and you know, regional and, and and mainline pilot you know talking about all these things and and these questions so guys let's let's move on to the questions and our first question what we'll do is kind of a a little bit of a round uh, table here and uh, so I'll start off with the first one and then uh, you know I'll, I'll pass it along to, to Tom and also uh, Paul might want to jump in and answer some of these questions too so the first one I'll take second one uh, of Tom and the third one Paul will have uh, start off with an answer so on the first question it comes in it says uh, first of all I want to take a moment to thank you for your podcast I'm 27 years old and I'm considering a career change of becoming a professional pilot as a brief background on myself, I graduated college in 2011 with a bachelor of science degree in meteorology and have yet to earn a job in the industry. Since graduation, I've worked in the food industry, customer service, and retail and have not found a job that truly makes me happy and which makes me feel fulfilled in my work. While doing research online about the career paths in aviation, I stumbled across your podcast and has been very helpful thus far and has provided me with great information. I've taken several introductory flights over the past years, more so recently, and discovered how much I love being in the air. I've always dreamed of becoming a pilot for a career. I've also obtained my FAA first class physical exam recently to ensure there are no medical issues standing in my way of becoming a career pilot. I've completed a lot of research on what the career entails, the steps to start my career, and at the moment, I'm learning towards finding an accelerated training program to complete all of my training and begin my career. Well, that's pretty good stuff. Uh, he continues, I have come across a few programs that seem reliable as far as not being a scam and produce good results. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that scam. That's that's an interesting thing. Um, we'll go into a little bit on depth on this one. But I know the cost of these schools are high, and I would have to finance a great portion of the training, which is daunting. But my wife has a good-paying job in a career field that is easy to relocate, so I'm not too concerned about paying back the loans when I get out of training, I found a, a school uh, on and that has an accelerated program, and on their website it says they have connections with regional airlines, which would be a helpful bonus trying to obtain a job after achieving the required hours. I was wondering if you could provide any direct feedback on this training school, uh, as one I didn't mention it here, or if you have any other school recommendations for me to research before deciding on a school for training. I'm trying to cover all my bases before making a big decision like this, and I would appreciate any advice you might be willing to give to help me get on the correct path. Thank you in advance for your time, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you. Uh, we don't usually mention the schools on here. We don't uh, make specific recommendations on the show, uh, but uh, we do the, the school that he was looking at I do recommend. Uh, and, and I've told or sent an email back to him saying that, uh, we do recommend the one that he, he's looking at, but there are some out there 
you have to watch out for. Not as much now as you did 10 years ago as far as scams are concerned. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but in the past, there was a lot of schools set up where basically we used to call them puppy mills or pilot mills, you know, where you would go in, pay them an exorbitant amount of money. They would get you through the program, and you, you think usually that you overpaid. Well, sometimes these companies would go out of business, and they would leave you on the hook for the loan. So, for instance, say you took a $35,000 loan, and you placed the money with the flight school. Well, you know what happens? That money, you still owe that $35,000, even if you took no training. And this company took off, closed the lights, and headed out. Sometimes these, uh, a lot of nefarious folks out there, they would actually take the money and run. And I've seen it happen. I know people have done it. Uh, it's very hard to prosecute. Uh, and it, it's a really dirty trick. Uh, but it's not happening as much because the finances have actually tightened down. I know some of you have probably heard this. That one of the schools I went to did do this and uh, left a lot of people on the hook. Uh, for flight training. So you have to be really, really careful. But the one that he was talking about, again, we don't mention them on, on the air, but uh, the one he was talking about was good. There are a lot of good ones out there. And I, I think with the, the recession, it's kind of weeded out a lot of those folks. So uh, also, uh, there's there's schools all over the country that have accelerated programs. If you have questions about this, you know, you know, talk to us. The other thing that he mentioned is is the bridge programs or whatever you want to call those programs where they go from from training to getting into an airline. That is fairly important. Uh, right now, you know, it, it's it's important, but not quite as much as it was 10 years ago, because currently there's so many people looking for pilots. Uh, you pretty much can can walk in any door and, and the airline's going to want to take you because there's such a shortage at the regionals right now for pilots. But having an in makes it a lot easier. I know I had an in at one place uh, and I didn't even have to apply. Basically, they said, come on in for the interview. Uh, we're going to we're going to actually give you the job. But we have to just this is just a formality. So I went to the interview, and got the job at the regional. Uh, so that's been pretty interesting. Have you guys, um, Tom, have you worked with any of these accelerate type of programs before? You know, I did participate in a bridge program. Uh, that's actually how I got into the regional back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, it worked really well. But back to maybe before he's in a position to take advantage of a bridge program, picking a school. You know, one thing to think about doing is in the school, if they're reputable, should have no problem providing this, is talk to a couple of the graduates. Uh, maybe just search them out online or maybe get names from the school, but say, hey, I'm thinking of going here. Pros and cons. What do you think? Yeah, another uh, as far as uh, directories are concerned, I I really like AOPA's flight training. They have a directory there. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of them on the internet. You have to be careful uh, who you pick and who you choose. I uh, I like organizations that are willing to give you the straight skinny on that. You know, on, on the Good on the point. flight school. So uh, definitely take a look at them at flight training. Wonderful people over there at AOPA, uh, and you can always you know contact them directly. Uh, there's other organizations out there uh, that do have uh, flight training programs in their directories. Uh, be careful because some of them, some of those lists are paid lists where people will pay for advertising and put themselves on a list. Uh, so, so make sure it's it, it truly is objective. And then ask around and uh, ask at the airlines. We, uh, I know uh, a, some of the airlines that I know do hiring specifically like certain schools because they know the quality of the training coming out of that school. Uh, you know, there's some very large schools out there that we know of that have, have a real good reputation. So I think that's a great idea. Paul, now, did you go to a, I think you went to Accelerated for one of your, 
one of your ratings, right? Yeah, I I did a, like an accelerated finish up program down in Florida because uh, I was having a problem with weather where I live, and uh, so there's bad I went weather in New Jersey. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's beautiful there all the time. Three hundred sixty five days a year. Uh, but no, I I I chose a school in Florida that was um, known for being able to get get the job done, and. Uh, and I think that there's a – I would say there's maybe two points that I would bring into this. One is um, know, know that the school does this r- routinely. And there's a couple of schools uh, up up in, in, in the northeast that, that say they do accelerated training, but they, they don't do accelerated training because weather gets in the way um, for starters. And, and they're not used to doing accelerated training. And so – it takes a little bit longer and accelerated training for them is maybe a month to get an instrument rating done. And granted I went in there with a, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of hood time and, and some cross, all my cross country flying done. But I think I did my instrument rating in six days and I flew, I flew four times a day for six days and I just, I just got it done. Um, and they were very, they were very good about sticking to a syllabus. They had a syllabus, they had a plan. I was there for five minutes before they put me put me to work, and I didn't stop working um, until I until I got my ticket. And it, it was actually now that I've gone through airline training, it was actually sort of similar in that regard. It was drinking from a fire hose. So that was so I, that'd be my my advice. There would be to make sure you do your due diligence and pick a place that um, ask around, like Tom said talk to, to previous students and make sure you pick a place that, that, that has been doing it and, and does it well. And then the other, the only other thing I'd mention is maybe just be careful when you, when you pay for these things, like you said about the scams earlier, I, I wouldn't pay for anything up front and, uh, you know, maybe put a deposit down and then pay as you go or uh, work something out in that, that way. I, I paid as I went. So I was never, I just got billed at the end for, for the hours that I flew and the instruction I received. So that was I was I never felt that as though uh, I was going to be scammed out of anything. You know, there's an interesting book out there. We had the author on here about uh, you know I talked about pilots on food stamps, but during that conversation and in that episode, I'll have a link to that episode. He does talk about not not spending more than a few thousand dollars on on your flight training. So if you it's like anything else, if you just put two thousand down. Uh, you don't put the whole amount. You're only into it for two thousand dollars. Where if you put twenty five thousand dollars down, that's a big chunk of change. So be real careful there. And the same, I think, important point here is, and we forgot to mention this, is the fact that uh, different rules apply to different types of schools, like vocational type schools, which this goes under those rules a lot of times for financing. Uh, so they can take all your money and and close up, and you're still on the hook for that loan. So people are still paying off loans. Uh, they they've been clamping down on that. Uh, so that's good that the government uh, has done that. Some and some consumer advocacy groups, which is awesome. Anyway, I think that that's some good conversation there on those. I love accelerated programs because it gets you to the airline quicker, which is a real good thing, as long as you get good training. And so there's some really good ones out there. A real good example of accelerated training, by the way, is uh, pilots in the military. Theirs is quite accelerated. And so will yours be at the airline when you get there. That's like Paul said, drinking from a fire hose. Anyway, thanks for that question. Uh, moving on to the next question. It says, hey, Carl, 
Firstly, I'd like to thank you and your co-hosts and guests for providing such a valuable insight to help the guidance with guidance for career decision for myself and others out there like me. It's hard to get this much information unless I find pilots that are willing to sit down with me and talk about their experiences and opinions. Well, we are welcome, and I think that's exactly what we're, we're doing here. I'm, I love getting information from all these different pilots and, and what they do in their careers. He continues, Secondly, I apologize in advance for the lengthy question, but I wanted to give as much detail as possible about my current career situation so you might be better equipped to discuss the topic. I am 26-year-old pipeline pilot building hours and getting ready for my next career move. Still somewhat debating a focus more towards a career in a corporate world or going towards the majors. I have a bachelor's degree and have my instrument in multi-commercial, high-performance, and complex endorsements. With slightly over 900 total time, 80 multi, 65 hours in the King RC90, but no initial training, with about 750 PIC and a clean FA in criminal history. Although I know parts of my overall question have been discussed in previous podcasts, I've been trying to weigh the pros and cons of a corporate career and a career in the majors, mostly being quality of life, salary, and how enjoyable a career in each area might be, i.e., do many corporate pilots enjoy their jobs more than commercial pilots? And if so, does a long-term increased salary of a pilot in a major counter or you know major carrier, excuse me, outweigh the potential less enjoyable career? Hmm. Uh, we're going to have Tom comment on that that one. That's a that's an interesting <laughs> comment note there, and I know Tom's going to going to say something interesting in a minute. But uh, or uh, he continues, or is the overall job happiness seem to equal with higher pay for a commercial in the long run? This question stems from the old saying: Part ninety one has more fun. <laughs> Most of my dilemma comes from the new ATP rules. I have heard that some regionals will pay for my ATP, but my salary will be very difficult to live on here in the city I'm in. Well, I have a few prospects that pay decently flying uh, BE200s and uh, Phenoms uh, and then type rating paid for. But I'd have zero chance of getting my ATP and ultimately would cut off my chances of making it to the majors unless I finance my own ATP. I'm not necessarily asking you to make a career decision for me, but possibly discussing this topic might help give some insight to me and to others that are in the same boat of getting ready to make such a significant career move. Thank you for taking the time to read my question. Uh, you know, it's interesting the <laughs> what he says here. Uh, I, I could tell by the question there's this this perception amongst himself and his friends that the uh, that the corporate might be a potentially less enjoyable career. Well. You know, you could turn that right around and say that the airline could potentially be a less enjoyable career. There's a lot of people who love being corporate pilots. Don't you think so, Tom? I know one. <laughs> <laughs> there are. There are. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about that, Tom. I mean, what, what would you suggest as far as, you know, going commercial, going – talk a little bit about commercial – or excuse me, uh, um, being – uh, a corporate pilot or a private uh, jet pilot, you know, as far as uh, is satisfaction with your career. Tell us, tell us sure. what's most satisfaction. Give, give them a, an idea. Well, I can tell you this, that I did almost five years in a regional airline environment and spent the last 10 years in the corporate environment. And I think really the question to ask is not so much which one is better. I think maybe the question to ask is what lifestyle do you want to lead? Because they are two completely different lifestyles. One is not better or worse or different than the other. They're they're just their own ways of living. And so, you know, when I was in the airlines, and Carl, you can attest to this, and Paul, you too, is you know that lifestyle is very scheduled. 
can be very long, very busy, can be a long road to pay, can, you know, all these different bullet points, so to speak. Uh, in corporate, you know, that's a different lifestyle. Uh, maybe there's a schedule, maybe there's not. Destinations might be a little bit more unpredictable, so there's a little more adventure. Uh, you get more intimate interaction with passengers. You fly uh, oftentimes very advanced equipment, and uh, you may or may not have scheduled vacations. You may get, you may be able to participate in the company bonus program. I remember one of my first years at a fortune company, not where I'm at now, but uh, at a previous position, my bonus was twice what I made my first year in an airline. So it's two different lifestyles. You can't, you have to be very cautious about saying one is better than the other because they're different. And I think really if you approach it from that angle, it'll help you get clarity on which one makes sense for you. And I, I think uh, to add to that point, if if you decide which way to go early on, that's the one you should go for because, you yeah. know, I did a podcast about, you know, don't make a $2 million mistake in your your piloting career yeah i was gearing that towards the majors because the the majors especially if you put off your career the longer you put it off the less you're going to make because it takes so long to get up to the to that high paying job whereas in yeah and corporate, it's not a straight start, line either no no within within the corporate world though you can make many leaps upwards and uh and the other thing too and i love to stress this is that uh in the corporate world and tom please you know you know, make sure I, I say this correctly. You can move from one job to the next and actually make more money. Whereas in an airline, when you move to the next job, you go down to starting pay. It's a true statement. Very okay. true. And and you can make a lot more money too. Uh, a and that, lot. Yeah, and yeah. that's what's crazy is that you know in in the real world, in the corporate world, or whatever, and, and people that have regular jobs, they go from one job to the next and they make more money. In this airline business, you usually go to the next job, you start all over. And uh, I'll give you a good example. When I started working at a major, I had to take an over $60,000 a year cut in pay. And that's a lot of money. You know, yeah. that's, that's a ginormous amount, you know, to me. Right. And and so what happens is you, you have to start over again. But with that said, I was able to make that up in a few years. And to do that... Um, yeah, I just had to hang in there and you look, you have to look at the long run and what you want to do. Uh, there's some bonuses, like you said, interacting with people. We get to interact with people if we want to. Um, the neat thing about being in a major is that our legs are longer and our flights are longer. So if, if you want to just relax and look at the sunset or whatever, go fly to the West Coast. You got five hours to check out the sunset, six <laughs> hours to check out the sunset. If, if you want to check out the, I'm an island kind of person. So I love to look at the different, you know, aquamarine and, and the light colors, the white colors even of the waters of say the Bahamas, et cetera. You know, a couple of days ago, I went down to Bermuda and back to New York and I got to see that really pretty island with all those, those gorgeous looking homes and a big lighthouse when we were flying in. So, you know, I got to take off and hang out with the captain, talk for like an hour, hour and a half, and then get ready for the landing, and then land, get ready for the next flight. Within an hour, we were out of there and flew back to New York, and that was a lot of fun. So those those can – and it's challenging too. We had a thunderstorm of the field, you know, and yeah. so that, that was a little – and especially out there because you're 600 miles away from the closest airport, uh, that gets to be a challenge. So there are challenges involved also in the airline flying, but, but you also have those long legs too where you can enjoy and relax and and just sit back and and look at the world go by don't you tom 
Yeah, yeah, we do get them. This airplane's uh, six hours and 50 minutes is as long as I've taken it. And you certainly want to have a runway in front of you at that point. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think going back to his question, it, I, I would look seriously at lifestyle. And, and you're right, Carl. And Paul, you can attest to this probably, is make that decision and, and, and stick with it. And if it takes you a month or two or six months to make, you know, figure that out, that's okay because it could indeed cost you millions. If you, if you go do uh, 10 years in corporate, now you're you know, 35, 40 going to a major, huge amounts of seniority, which is huge amounts of pay you missed out on. Sure, sure. So, now, how about on the regional side, Paul? Uh, that's a bit of a different lifestyle. Do you think you can make a – and do people actually make a career where you are working for a turboprop company? Uh, yeah, I mean, we do. We have some guys that have been here with the company for 25 years, uh, and, and they do. They make a living. They're, they're not interested in going anywhere. They're at the top of the seniority list, which means they get the best schedules. They're making, they're making a livable wage, and, uh, and they like what they're doing. And so, yeah, absolutely, the answer is yes, you can do that. But I, I completely agree with Tom in that when you, when you decide what you're trying to do in this, in this business, you absolutely, first and foremost, must have to consider your quality of life and what, what you're trying to achieve. And, and for me, like Tom said, the, the, the airline provided a very scheduled and regimented uh, type of a lifestyle and i need that i have two little kids and and uh otherwise i mean i don't know how i would handle babysitting setting up babysitting and and things like that so i needed i need to know that i'm working you know monday through thursday this week and these and i'll be i leave at 8 a.m and i'll be home at uh i think i get home at three o'clock tomorrow um and so i needed to know these things and so that was very important to me more so than almost any anything else, money, um, uh, uh, what type of equipment I flew, et cetera. So that, that was absolutely my first and foremost, um, uh, issue there. So, yeah. So Paul, wouldn't you agree it's better to take a real, really more holistic approach at, at your career, look at everything and say to yourself, would, if I'm going to go to this job, am I going to be happy there? Envision yourself there as much as you can. I mean, you can't predict everything, but yeah, I think sure. the best thing to do is just try to envision where you're going and, and you had to choose which airline you wanted to work for. And you chose this airline because of all the things you had just mentioned. And I think that's great. Right. You know, that's yeah. important to do. Yeah, you know, and I think I mean this. This could get into a, a, a whole nother show, but the, I chose I chose this airline again for the lifestyle. The lifestyle includes commutability. I don't commute. I I get in my car. I drive to the airport, and and that's a twenty five minute car ride. So that that's something that that adds days of my you know to my to my home life. Uh, as you can attest to. So, oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's something that was incredibly important. So, you're right. Yeah, taking a holistic approach is, is very, very important in determining and, and uh, just your career. Quickly, since we brought this up, it's a whole different job, by the way, if you commute or you don't commute. You know, I commute to work, and I'm, I'm a minimum six hours away from my job. Usually what happens is I have to go in a good 12 hours prior to working, and then I may work 12 hours. So it's a, it makes for a very long day, or I have to go in a day in advance and go home a day later if it's not a quote-unquote commutable trip. So you have to take that into your into your consideration, also with what airline you work for. 
you know what? I see this happen, especially now. People are changing airlines because uh, they're able to do that. Everybody's hiring, and people choose airlines based on where they're going to be based. Uh, I have a friend that was working here and at the airline I'm at now, and then he went to another airline because that airline had a base an hour from his house. And I said, "Listen, man, you got to do what you got to do." He was commuting twelve hours to work, and now he's only he jumps in the car and goes to work. He said it's it totally changed his life. Really, totally changed his life. And and with that too, there's there's another individual that who, who may come on. I'm not sure yet. He, he might be embarrassed to do it. We we talked a little bit about it that that I worked with and did some coaching with that went to the airlines and said, you know, this isn't for me. Uh, and he really didn't realize it till he got there, and said, this isn't the type of job I want to do. I think I want to do corporate. And he told the airline, listen, guys, I, I I really you know I don't know. This isn't for me. I, I want to do something different. I did not realize how low the pay was going to be and how long I'd be away from home and, and the challenges of commuting to a job where, you know, I'm basically not making any money because he had to pay for, you know, crash pad and food and stuff like that. So he's like, you know what? I'm done. So he moved on and I'm glad he did. I'm glad he's, he's doing something he likes. So you're right. We could spend hours on just that discussion. I think this is a great topic, but, uh, but look at everything, especially where you're working. I'm really happy with, uh, the job I have, uh, of course, I could probably make more money somewhere else, but you know, who knows? Maybe not, because you know, there's always downturns in the economy, etc. So, I'm in a comfortable place. I enjoy what I do. I actually like going to work. Um, I'm always, you know, telling my wife, "Oh, I want to go pick up another trip." She's like, "Oh, no, I got. Uh, we got to do the. We got to do the recycles this <laughs> week." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but great question, though. You know, again, take a take a holistic approach. Look at your whole life, and and then determine what's best for you. Uh, but make a decision. Move forward with that. And and if it doesn't work out, you know, make sure that it's a varied path on on your. You know, way to your career goal. You just have to change sometimes. And you, you come to a fork on the road, you make a decision, it was the wrong decision, or uh, you thought it was the right decision at that time, and it was somewhat the right decision, change it. You know, if it was a half a right decision, that's better than none. You know, but make a decision. You got to go left or right, that's for sure. Uh, and sometimes going up the middle is the best choice, <laughs> somewhere in between. But uh, anyway, thanks again for that question. We'll move on to the next question, and it says, uh, hello, ACP Group. My name is uh, actually, we're going to leave the name out. I discovered your podcast just a few days ago. I have to say that even though I have only listened to a few of the podcasts, I feel a lot better about my position. Like several of my fellow audience members, I have been contemplating flying career for a lot of my life, and I'm finally ready to make the leap. I am a 37-year-old student pilot with a family, mortgage, car payments, etc., and just added hangar rent to the list. I bought a Cessna 150 Echo about two weeks ago. I'm an avionics technician with an AMP slash IA and have about 15 years in the industry working in the U.S. and abroad as a government contractor. Unfortunately, my current company will not consider a quote-unquote crossover from the maintenance department to the flight department without at least 1,500 hours. I plan to do my private pilot certificate with my 150 or my 150 and CFIs from work. I have a local 141 school that will gladly uh, spend the remainder of my GI Bill on my instrument, multi and commercial ratings, and pay out a pocket for the remainder. My question is, should I give up my secure gig and follow the traditional route, commuters slash regionals, or are they more, are there more creative ways to build those hours without stretching it out over years? Also, what kind of time 
line should I expect? I understand that life happens, and while I'm prepared for that, I also know that I'm an A-typer, which most pilots are, by the way. A type A personality is very very common. That sometimes has difficulty finding balance between patience and perseverance. One of the things that I, I'm toying with is getting my CFI as soon as I can. I taught at an FAR 147 mechanics school for a while and found that I really enjoy teaching, provided I have students that want to learn. Thanks in advance for your, for any insight you can provide. Keep up the great work on the podcast. Uh, it's, it's really, uh, interesting. I did get back to him. He did want to point out one additional thing is that, uh, he's more interested in flying corporate than flying the airlines. And, uh, one question he forgot to ask is, is it a good idea to leverage my maintenance background in the pursuit of, of this? And, uh, what's the b- best way to do that if he's interested more in the corporate side of things? Uh, you know, it, it really is, it's interesting. You're 37 years old. You find you made that decision. You're moving forward. I think that's really important, uh, that you're moving in that direction. You know, hats off to you to the fact that you, you like to teach. And I would highly recommend you becoming an, a flight instructor because if you like to teach, we need good flight instructors out there. As far as the, the mechanics uh, license, I'm going to let uh, Tom talk a little bit towards that as far as the importance uh, in getting a corporate job. Well, I think there are two bullets to that that need to be looked at. Uh, I have seen the A&P be very handy and indeed help in a hiring decision I saw firsthand where they hired a gentleman who had an A&P when it was a private 91 family small time operation because they knew that that pilot could also help out on the plane whether it be on the road, whether it be an inspection, whether it be anything. That was a very – and actually um, did end up using him in both roles and it worked out great. Uh, when you switch over to the 91 uh, corporate world or even the 135 world, those roles are typically a bit more siloed, especially in 135. So would a 91 to 135 uh, company go, hey, he's got an A&P, we should definitely hire him? Ah, uh, I won't say no, but I won't say it carries as much weight. Useful, makes you look good, makes you stand out, but... But uh, it really depends on which part of the corporate world you want to go in, the fortune part or the family part or something in between as to whether or not that A&P will help you. Um, I think maybe, Carl and Paul, you would agree that, if anything, it will help you in terms of how you operate the airplane and safety and ability to uh, make that machine do what it's designed to do uh, versus somebody who doesn't have an A&P. But, um, uh, you know, uh, if you got it, don't lose it. You know, keep it going. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, and, and that's, that's an important thing is that having that A&P, uh, can help with certain jobs and others it does not. So, so really, you know, the biggest thing is get your, if you want to fly, get your flight time in. Uh, there's many ways to build that time. Uh, a lot of guys do things like even banner tow on the weekends. I have friends that do flight instructing on the side. Interesting thing about flight instructing, when you do it part time, it seems like it's more efficient because people know that you have a very limited time and they won't cancel on you <laughs> when, when there's a, a lesson coming up. And I think that that's really important. Uh, Paul, did you actually work part time as an instructor? I, well, I, yeah, I did. I yeah. worked. This is this question is sort of right up my alley to answer the other the other aspect of it, which is his his dilemma of yeah. uh, having the the family, the mortgage, the car payments. Being thirty seven, I'm thirty seven. Um, I might be a, a couple of years ahead of him um, because I'm already at the airline. But I I sat there and asked these exact same questions. I was you know I think maybe thirty three when I really started thinking about it. I I already had my private. I got my private in 2004, um, but I had to do the rest of my training. I said, "Man, how am I going to swing this?" With I've got, uh, I've got, I've got a 
at the time, my, my first son was a little baby and the mortgage and everything he just said. And, and I think what you have to decide is, what do you want to do with your life? I mean, you know, did, do you really, is this really what you want to do? And, and you have to make a decision. Like Carl said, you, you gotta, you gotta go left or you gotta go right. So pick a direction. And I, I picked, I picked the direction of, uh, of going for it. And, uh, and I couldn't be happier, you know? And so it, it required hard work. I worked, I worked as a, I continued to work as a nurse. I still work as a nurse to get through regional pay, but I worked as a nurse, uh, full time. And then I, uh, and then I trained on my days off. And, uh, and so I did that. And then when I got my CFI, I still worked as a nurse to pay the mortgage. And then I, I worked three to four days a week as a flight instructor. And Carl, you're a hundred percent correct. I, uh, I got a little bit of a following. I had a, a bunch of students that really wanted to fly with me and were willing to, uh, work on my schedule. So, uh, I, I had a very efficient schedule because I could only be there four days a week for them. And so it really, really worked out and I was able to get my 1500 hours, uh, relatively quickly. And so when did you, uh, when did you start at the airline? I started at the airline in, uh, December of 14. Okay. So you had mentioned earlier, you, you had made this left or right decision, if I heard you right, around 04, and you started uh, at the airline of 14. So it was 10 years. Well, no. I, so I got my private in 2004 um, because I, I just got loved it. flying. Okay. okay. And then uh, and I was flying as a medevac nurse. And that's actually how I, I didn't – I mean the, the idea of becoming a pilot was foreign to me. I didn't – I thought you had to be an, a military guy. I mean who, who knew how to do it? <laughs> and uh, – you know, and I was a kid. I just graduated college. I just started working as a nurse, and so uh, I started doing this fixed wing medevac stuff. And and after a, a trip, the pilot said, "Why don't you come up here and fly with me?" And I said, "Well, that'd be awesome." And it was a Cessna 414, and uh, that was the very first airplane I ever flew. And I flew it for two hours, and I was hooked. I was just absolutely hooked. And I landed, and got out of the airplane, and started researching flight schools that day. <laughs> <laughs> so that, but that was oh four. And so, no, in 2011 was the year that I decided I, I really need to, uh, I really need to do this. So I started studying for my instrument, um, end of, end of 11. So, um, beginning of 2012, started studying for my instrument written, took that. And then, so, uh, so in three or four years, you went from, we're going to do this to firing up the it. engines on an airliner. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know. It's probably a very pertinent thing for this uh, question. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's really right up my alley. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, you know, to add to that, too, is that, you know, we normally always suggest people or, you know, tell people it's going to be five to ten years to get to your goal uh, at an airline that you want, you, you, your destination airline, where you're going to finish your career. Right. Uh, I've seen people do it in three years. I've seen people do it in ten years. Uh, so there's there's a, a wide variance there. It didn't yeah. take you that long to get from point A to P and point B, uh, but you know you you're not really at your destination yet. So we we want right. to always hear these updates. That's for sure, as far as where yeah, you're absolutely. going. And uh, but but really, I think that's a good point, Tom, that you're making. Is uh, you know look at how long is it going to take you? Because that's a part of his question. And uh, all the consultants you've heard us have on the show have said the same thing. Give yourself five to ten years to be where you are. So. 
Uh, that's a long time. So having a job that you enjoy on the way there is incredibly important. Yeah. Um, it, it can be bad too because you might wind up in a job you really like and isn't your destination and you kind of hang out there for a little longer than you should <laughs> because yeah. it, because it is so much fun. Yeah. You know, one other thing to think about here too, and, and, you know, maybe this is a little bit of the softer area of this business, but, uh, you know, he mentions mortgage, family, car payments, and how many guys have all of us flown with, you know, who are on their second and third marriages, you know, so, yeah. so maybe, boy, be careful about this pursuit, uh, you know, and, and I don't mean to overstep maybe, but just just be careful because uh, I don't know, Carl and Paul, the guys I know that have uh, on their second and third marriages, you know, half of that great big airline check disappears every month. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, hit the you know a little nerve there, but uh, you know it's it, it's true. I mean, I I've uh, been yeah, I've gone the gambit. Let's, let's put it yeah. that way. I, I hate to admit to 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 some of my failings in life, but uh, you know I've had done you know been there, done that. Got the you got the T-shirt, you yeah. know the ex-wife, you know, and all the uh, you know having to pay the alimony and that kind of thing. It's it is it is difficult, and I think. Though that that could happen in any career, yeah, uh, yeah. But you have to have a spouse that's willing to put up with you being away for long periods and is very independent. Uh, it's really tough. Uh, I, it's you know, my wife's really independent, but still, you know, every so often it's like, gosh, you know, I wish you were here to help with whatever it may be. You know, if it's a, you know, I'm pretty decent at fixing plumbing issues, and if there's a plumbing issue, I'm not here to fix it. You know, so now we got to call a plumber, that type of thing. Yeah, uh, but it, it warrants a. I mean, it's it's something that you know I never thought of on the. Front end, no. you know, I never thought of it, and I think maybe you know, for this question here, it's, uh, uh, hey, honey, let's date night, let's go out to dinner and, and have a conversation. <laughs> right, <laughs> they, you definitely have to be upfront. Yeah, uh, oh, oh yeah, they, because it's such a different career. Um, you know, the schedules are so different. The the pay is um, so low in the beginning, and and it's one thing to see it on paper, and it's another thing to live it. Yeah, and uh, and I'm living it right now. And boy, I'll tell you, you know, Carl talked about a $60,000 pay cut and I'm right there right now, uh, you know, from where I was at and, and, you know, but we knew about it going in. We had, we had that discussion, um, mm. and, uh, and good family support is another thing that's super helpful right now. Yeah. It's uh, important to have that conversation. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's great to hear Paul because you really do need that. You're a good example of having that conversation before you make the jump. Cause I know we've talked about this at length and you know, you, you had those conversations. You tried to let your spouse and your family know, uh, what's about to happen. And, and it, it, it hits you. It's like, Oh boy. Um, you know, honestly, in my background, I've, I've had, I, I've, I did this before I, I, my second marriage and in between, uh, once a lot of times what happens when they find out how much you're really making as a pilot, they're shocked. Uh, you know, I, I always tell the story when I went in to get a loan for a car and I told the guy how much I make and he said, Oh, that's per month. I said, No, that's per year. <laughs> and- <laughs> I was funny. incredibly embarrassed by it. But, We've all uh, been there. Yeah, it's like wow. <laughs> so, so people, the perception of of what we do as an airline pilot, you know, yes, at the majors in the left seat of a, a major, you're going to make a lot of money, but uh, getting there takes a little bit of time. So, it's important. Uh, the financial part of it is extremely important to know what you're getting into. It's going to be a sacrifice for a while, but you're you're building experience. the The other cool thing is, you really once you have experience, you really want to make some money. There's opportunities 
communities all over the world uh, that you can jump on, which is is really exciting if that's what you want to do, if you want to leave the country, et cetera. Uh, but you have to – it's one of those jobs where you, you're probably going to have to move. Uh, the neat thing about having a backup to this, there's certain career fields where – you know, they can't really send it overseas. A good example is, is in the medical field. Paul's a good example, actually, of that, where, you know, you really can't outsource a nurse to some other country because it's, they physically have to be there. And that's a skill that, uh, not too many people have and you have to get a license for. And it's, it's something that you'll be able to use for a long, long time. You know, it's something I hopefully that Paul won't ever give up. That's for sure. I'll never give up for sure. No, that's but, uh, too good of a backup plan. Yeah. Well, you guys, we've, we've come up on an hour. I'd like to get in one more question though, if we can do that, if that's okay. And, sure. uh, yeah, let's uh do there, it. there's one more here that, that's really important. I'm not going to read through this because it's kind of personal, but, but here's the deal. And this actually is, uh, is happened to me too. Uh, there's an individual that wrote in that said within his, uh, he he had worked for a company and then he left that company to, to go back as a contractor. But to, to get back as a contractor basically had to become uh, uh, on the do not hire list uh, at that company. Well, the problem is that later on he's trying to get a job somewhere else and uh, he's trying to get that switched over from, uh, you know, there uh, is the person eligible for rehire. And it says no, trying to get that changed. So that was what happens when you leave a company. It's uh, they, the company that you're getting hired by will contact your previous employer and ask them, is this person eligible for rehire? Uh, in other words, would you hire this person again back? Uh, you know, yes, no. Um, there's also another thing that they can do, I found out, is they can also tell that person to contact the company. Uh, and I've worked for companies in the past where they've done that, where I did a, they did a background check on me and the company that they asked if was, you know, that I worked for and asked them if I was eligible for rehire, they sent the letter of my, my letter of resignation to that company saying here, they didn't answer it yes or no. Uh, which I think is kind of interesting. There are some, you know, companies out there that, that won't answer yes or no. They're supposed to. Now, if you have a an ineligible for rehire, it's a good idea to go back and and just talk to those people and say, hey, listen, can you change that for me? This is what happened. And they might be willing to do that. You know, it's a direct conversation. Then it, it can also escalate to a person that does employment law. And, uh, you know, we don't give legal advice, obviously. So that's that would be the more extreme thing to do. But but in your life in general, the first thing to do is, of course, ask uh, first and say, hey, listen, can can you change this for me? And uh, and then, you know, see if they do it. If they don't uh, try to look towards other other avenues. There are some groups out there, too, that uh, have and nonprofit organizations that, that can help you as an individual that do a little bit of employment law. It's a uh, it's a it's a real sticky area. It's it's tough, though, man. I tell you, it's uh it's difficult when you have on there something that doesn't say yes, the person's eligible for rehire. I basically, um, I, I feel most places will put down you're eligible for rehire unless it really was something, uh, that you're not eligible for rehire. Like you were fired for something you did that was really wrong. In that case, you may have to take some time to actually explain what you did in your background and, and why you wouldn't do that again. The other thing you can do is if it does say you're not eligible for rehire, I also suggest that you tell the person that you're you're looking to get hired with uh, the company and say, hey, listen, you know, this is what happened. Here's my story. And uh, 
they may they'll understand it usually, and they may not, and you may have to go down another route. So, uh, anybody else have anything to add to that? What I've just talked about as far as the eligibility for rehire, and if there's any way to appeal that. Uh, this is Tom. I, I do not well outside of my circle of competence. Yeah, um, I would just I would add exactly what what you said, Carl. On that, I, I would just be honest, and especially in his situation, I would just be honest with the the person, the hiring manager of the company he's trying to get with now, and explain the situation. Uh, and honesty is the best policy. And if they don't accept it, then yeah, it might come to that point where you have to move up move on and go down a different path to uh, maybe a different place. Yeah, and there's and there's people that do this, you know, for a living, and there's attorneys out there that, that really, you know, can help you with your background. There's actually, there's companies uh, that we've had on that will help you, you know, fix your background, et cetera. Uh, and it's it's a really good idea to, to hire them after you've made that first, uh, you know, contact yourself and say, hey, listen, could you change this in my record? And then move forward from there. Uh, I've actually had to do that in one of my personnel records. Something was wrong and said, hey, listen, uh, this isn't right. I wrote it down wrong. Can we change it? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's no problem. I was like, oh, okay. And just just move forward from there. Uh, I tell you, that was one of the scariest things, being in training at, at an airline and then pulling me out of training and saying, listen, you know, we have a problem here. <laughs> you may, we may have to ask you to leave. And I was like, what, what happened? And, uh, there was, there was something in my background that uh, they couldn't verify. And that's a whole other thing to talk about. I was self-employed, and uh, I didn't understand at the time how to verify your employment if you're self-employed. And and they took me through that process, which uh, took me out of training for a few weeks, but I got it done. And I kind of wish I knew that ahead of time. So if you're listening, you're self-employed, make sure you have all your ducks in a row and you have someone to talk to that can verify all those those days that you're, you know, back, go back 10 years and every single day, someone that can verify where you were working and what you were doing. Well, guys, this has been terrific. It's been a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed yeah, some of these show. questions. I, I you know, Tom, it's been great having you back and, and your insight and input. You, uh, Tom has a really cool podcast that he's, he's really excited about getting, uh, getting going on a, on a more regular schedule. It's a private jet podcast and, and what what is it that uh, the Private Jet Podcast does? What, what's it gonna? What type of information does it relate to the me, the listener? Yeah, you know, it's really aimed more at the corporate side of the business, and everything we talk about on that show is all about uh, reducing risk and improving value in the business side of aviation. So, you know, all the corporate jets and everything that goes into supporting them—that's uh, what we're talking about there. Interviewing experts, uh, discussing you know different things to think about. Uh, it's a fun show. Cool, cool. It's uh, I love it. I love the interviews on there. Uh, there's some really. There's actually some people that we've had on our show that were on your show, uh, just because it's uh, they've had some really interesting uh, careers and yeah. incredible backgrounds. Um, also, uh, Paul, I think it's been great to have you on here as far as uh, helping us out with the scholarships. That's awesome what you're doing so far. Uh, I have to say, he's. I'm. I'm having a tough time keeping keeping up with him. Uh, I asked him to go look for a scholarship or two, and he came up with 19 yesterday, I think it was. And I'm just like, wow. So here's what's been happening. It's the same thing. You find one, and I think 10 sprout out of every one. I don't know, man. I think I think we're going to have 1,000 by the time you're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to work on it. Yeah, that's for sure. And and really, if, if someone needs to get in touch with us or in touch with Paul about a, a scholarship, because he's actually doing the hard work. He's analyzing, helping analyze a scholarship, make sure it's it's actually a real scholarship, because you know, we've found in the past that some of them that are out there really aren't 
real scholarships. There's a lot of these websites that have all sorts of links on them, and those links go to different things that are have nothing to do with scholarships and basically their advertisements, et cetera. So we're, we're verifying them, and every so often we get one that sneaks by, but the neat thing about it is we do audit our scholarships, and, and some we've actually had to pull, I think, six scholarships in the past couple months from our directory because uh, they weren't proper scholarships, and so we've pulled those out of there. So make sure, you know, if you have any questions, you can, you can ask Paul and just, just write him. Uh, he's got an email address here, Paul at aviationcareerspodcast.com or if you send it to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast and just ask for Paul, we'll send it over to him and uh, he'll respond to you as far as any questions there as far as the scholarships are concerned. Um, he's doing a bang-up job. He's also having a lot of fun flying a, a turboprop right now. And uh, the good thing about flying a turboprop, we had this discussion uh, yesterday, never, ever discount turboprops. We, uh, I do a lot of the FAA safety seminars, and I was speaking to a guy who's flying a turboprop. A lot of times you can tell people that fly props because they know how to use their rudders. And uh, <laughs> it's an important skill to have. And no matter what airplane you fly, you still need to land the airplane, and uh, you're going to have to use those rudders, whether it's a 380 or, you know, a, you know an ATR. Um, or any type of Dash 8 or a 172, you always use the rudders when you land. So that's really important. Paul, I really appreciate you, you being here uh, with us this evening. And as a matter of fact, we're hoping to have Paul on again because he's actually helped in the past uh, in his background uh, in people in the nursing uh, field and has mentored some people there. Uh, to get move forward in their career, we're going to talk to Paul in a, a future episode as as to what it's like to be a a flight nurse, uh, yep. and uh, and the possibilities of that career for those of you that are listening that that are nurses that that are interested in getting into aviation and aerospace because uh, we have a, a few of those. That's kind of a kind of a neat and very rewarding job. Uh, that's for sure, isn't it? Absolutely, that's a great job, and uh, I'm looking forward to to talking about that in a future episode. Cool. And I appreciate you having me. It was uh, it was a blast. Absolutely. <laughs> just a blast ton of fun cool well uh, hopefully we'll have you back uh, soon in the next episode i think or the one after that uh but uh one thing i want to to leave the folks with here and uh i i think it's really important to find somebody who's going to encourage you in your career if it's us you know listening to us that's great we will always encourage you to do whatever it is you want to do remember this we you know we don't care you know what it is you decide to do because we have a lot of people that listen to us and they decide to go on to other careers and not stay in aviation. That's terrific in that you've made that decision. That's what we want you to do. What we really care about is that you do what it is that you want to do and truly be honest with yourself as to what type of career you want to get into and what type of job within aviation that you want. Whether it's working part-time as a flight instructor, a banner tow pilot, or it's working full-time as a regional pilot full-time as a major airline, as a corporate pilot, whatever it may be, just make sure you're honest with yourself and you say to yourself, this is, I'm doing this for myself because that's, that's really, really important. And also communicate. Make sure you communicate with your family. I know we've talked about this here, so make sure you do that. So if you're going to do something, make sure you go and you look at what it is you want to do. Do this for me. This is the one thing I want you to take away from this. And I always tell people to do one thing, one thing now to move forward in your career, and I want you to look inside. Look inside yourself and say, why am I doing this? Why am I going into this career? Is it for me? Is And write down all these lists of things. You know, Is it because I love to look at things from the air? It's because of the destinations. It's, I want to do this. I want to do. I want to go to Europe. Well, if you want to go to Europe, make sure you fly for an airline that goes to Europe. 
those type of things. Get that down and then use that, that goal, be focused, move towards that goal, and keep moving towards that goal. Another thing I want you to do is this. I don't uh, always recommend my other podcast, but one thing that I really want you to listen to is our last show on the Stuck Mike Avcast, the general aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. And that one was a Jessica Cox. Jessica Cox is a really inspirational individual. She does Taekwondo. She's a, a scuba diver. She's also a pilot who has no arms. She's the first certified pilot that has no arms. It's an incredible story. And if you're feeling down, if you feel like, you know, I can't do it, you need to listen to Jessica Cox because that's not in her vocabulary. And I think we should make sure that's not in your vocabulary. Well, folks, I really appreciate your listening to us this evening. If you have any questions, go to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Check out all the other things that we have on there. Uh, Tom Wachowski and Paul Greco and myself would love to see you move forward in your career. We'll talk to you again next episode. Do something now to move forward in your career. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.